0: Welcome to episode five of Open Source Sports Podcast. My name is Ron Yurko. And I'm Costas Palacrinis. And today we're, we're very excited. We are joined by Michael Lopez. He is the Director of Football and Data and Analytics at the National Football League and a Lecturer of Statistics and Research Associate at Skidmore College. At the National Football League, his work centers on how to use data to enhance and better understand the game of football. And today, we'll be discussing his uh, paper, uh, joint work with Greg Matthews and Ben Balmer, How Often Does the Best Team Win? A Unified Approach to Understanding Randomness in North American Sport. Thanks for joining us, Mike.
1: Coach and Ron, thanks so much for having me. I've, I've listened to your initial episodes, and it's, it's, it's an honor to, to be a, a part of this.
0: Well, I, I, I don't know if I'd put it in an honorable stage just yet, but we're getting there, maybe. <laughs> the, um, so
1: You've had some really interesting topics, and and I think this is the type of, of stuff that uh, I'm, I'm really interested in. And so, you know, I'm happy to discuss my work, but also to hear the, the great work of others as well. Thanks, Mike.
0: The, um, and I think, yeah, to kick off then, just following, you know, as as you know from our format, to start with, what was the motivation of this work? you doing this joint work with Greg and Ben, and you know I've seen your Nessus talks, the fantastic talks that, you know, from Nessus and also at our conference as well, CMU. I encourage people to check out I'll put them in the show notes, but you know, what was the motivation for doing this project?
1: Well, I mean, I think if you look at Greg, Ben, and myself, we have a a little bit of a a diverse backgrounds in the the sort of the the sports we are most comfortable analyzing and some of the the sports work we have done. And we would often get together and sort of talk about sports. And I think we kind of recognize that we maybe didn't have quite a great way of comparing some of the sports leagues. We were at JSM in maybe 2015 it was. And I remember the three of us were, were sort of debating like legacies of players and choking in the playoffs and um, justifying Billy Bean's failure in the playoffs as not really a failure. And we kind of just sort of said like, what are we doing here talking about it? Like, this isn't really what we're good at. Um, we're good at analyzing data and, and trying to think about it. And uh, it, it wasn't too much later that uh, Greg and I had done some work with sports betting data as part of our uh, Kaggle contest entry over the years. So we, we were familiar with betting data and we we're familiar with how we could use it to pretty, uh, get a, a pretty good ranking of teams. And so we should have put two, you know, two and two together to, to figure out, all right, well, we can rank teams by using betting market data. If we have a, a good way of ranking teams and they're on the same scale, then now we can actually start to compare, you know, what does a ten and six record mean in, in major league baseball in the first 16 games to a 10 and six record in the NFL, which is the entire season. Um, so it sort of was built just out of watching the games and, and out of interest, but then also sort of merging with a little bit about what we felt was interesting about sport.
0: Like I, it makes sense this idea of also because no one else had done this before, right, of across the different sports, how is one way we can get on the same measurement scale? And this is is a big emphasis in your paper, especially at the beginning. It's the challenge of going from approaches that consider point differentials, right? And across different sports, we can't do that because hockey is very different in terms of scoring rates. You know, different baseball and hockey have low scoring environments versus basketball and then you know NFL scoring as well these all these things are different distributions so the idea was to get this on the same playing field and that motivates then why you wanted to go and use these Vegas probabilities. So Custis, did you want to start with then um, some of the modeling?
2: Yeah yeah I mean I, I really like the the Bayesian uh, state model approach, um, and I understand why you use the, the Vegas uh, probabilities for for modeling uh, for what also Ron mentioned. So my main uh, question is: Does the fact that this essentially is a model of another model uh, does this complicate things in terms of um, you know un- higher uncertainty, for example, because there is that uncertainty? the so original model, and then the model on top of that. Uh, and um, also related to that is why to model odds ratio and not directly the win probability.
1: Yeah, the, I mean, those are two good questions. And we talked about at length about both of them as we were, you know, whether we're sitting at GSM or in the conversations afterwards. The, at least on the first part where we're, we're debating and, and why we're using, um, you know, betting odds and, instead of other metrics the easiest thing to use is one loss percentage or, or just sort of does the team win? Um, in reality, if, if all you have is a game and you want to get a better sense of what's going to happen the next game, you're better off knowing, you know, what were the Vegas odds for it, right? So if you have two teams that are, you know, play an NBA game and one of them is minus 200 against the other one, well that team could win by 40 and in all likelihood if they played again, two days later, that team is still going to be minus 200 the next game. Um, and, and the reality is, is that that single information number is going to tell us, not all the time, but it usually is going to tell us a decent amount more about what the the sort of relative strength of those two teams is. Now, when you look at an entire season of games, yeah, you're gonna learn a lot when you look at the, the score differential. <clears throat> but you know, when we're when we're trying to figure out like what is a good way of comparing sports, we just we we knew everything that, that existed out there was on one loss and was on win percentage. And if you're looking at a season of games, well then your your sort of seasonal one loss is gonna be partially linked to the number of games that you play in the sense that you know you can go 16 and 0 in the NFL team even though you're you're not really a true 16 and 0 team. So you know those are the types of questions that we were thinking about as we ended up you know settling on on the, the log odds ratio. Why did we do that over modeling the probabilities themselves? Well I mean I think to be honest that was our backup. Right? We sort of looked at it as let's take let's transform the, the probabilities and again, part of this is is because Greg and I had had similar success doing this, you know, in a different context. And so let's try this. And if it doesn't work, well, let's you know let's put a beta prior on it and, and go from there. So we we had that as as kind of like in the back of our heads. Um, I will be totally honest. A reviewer suggested that we also do it. Um, and and you know from our perspective, it was like we we we've done this. We've sort of justified that we have a way of doing it. And um, it, it seemed at least based on. Whether it was predicting future odds, whether it was predicting future one-loss percentage, uh, we it you know the model was was sort of justifiably doing a decent enough job. Uh, but again, you're you're totally right that there are other
2: ways to sort of model that same outcome. And and uh, full disclosure, I wasn't the reviewer, even though sometimes I'm a reviewer too here in the podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I, I was definitely not calling you or the reviewer out because I think it's a, a reasonable suggestion.
0: The. Um... I guess now like in hindsight of doing this or are, are there other approaches you've thought about for trying to get at this response variable or this rating approach that's comparable across the leagues outside of point different outside of these Vegas probabilities or the Vegas log odds right what have you thought more about could we do something that yes we have evidence to say that you know these are Uh, Good, accurate estimates, you know, calibrated ways of projecting who's going to win-lose games, like better ways of saying, you know, efficient market hypothesis, as you put in the paper, uh, which I'll admit makes uh, my (laughs) girlfriend who's a finance PhD cringe a little bit to see something mentioned in a sports statistics context, the uh, efficient market hypothesis. But, like, is there another way, if we try to do some form of an ELO rating that is at a comparable scale between these different leagues? Like, have you thought more about a different approach that doesn't rely on the Vegas probabilities in this context?
1: You, uh, have I thought about it recently? No. Um, mostly because we, were, we just felt like, you know, in the context of what we were trying to do, this was, this was good enough. As we talked about the paper, we were certainly thinking about traditional ELO Bradley Terry models uh, the, the problem is, well, it's not a problem. Um, it's, it's the reality is that the, the sort of outcomes at the beginning of the season take a little bit longer than a model that is based on out of betting odds would take to try and better understand team strengths. Um, and so one of the, the sort of neat aspects of our, our paper, which we, we picked up from, from Glickman and Stern's work, um, Mark Glickman and, and Hal Stern, for listeners that aren't familiar, are are sort of legends in the field of sports statistics. and their state-based model isn't really our state the one our state-based model that we use isn't really ours right it's it's, it came from their work in 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 nfl score outcomes Um, but when we when we applied it in the nfl you're you're trying to take the inferred team strength using an estimate of the team strength from the year prior um, shrunken towards some you know league average number and then there's a little bit of noise on top of it because you know that's not going to happen to all teams but depending on whether you're, you're doing score differential or one loss, it's going to take a little bit of while, you know, quite honestly, halfway through the season, you know, eight, seven, eight games for the model to get a good precise estimate of how well the team is. Um, when we looked at the graphs in terms of modeling team strengths, our, our betting-based paper was much more reactive to what was going on with teams. And, you know, the easiest example to, to think about, and this sort of ties into your other question, Ron, is when quarterbacks would get injured. You know, we could use our, our model and instantaneously the betting odds would react when a quarterback was injured one game, you know, Drew Brees gets injured, Teddy Bridgewater comes in, right? Well, the market for the Saints is is going to pick up on that and immediately is going to sort of note, well, okay, the Saints aren't going to be as good. Well, the Saints might have been playing the, the you know, um, the 2017 Browns or the, uh, the um, I don't want to pick on NFL teams. I have to be careful now, but the <laughs> – they might've been playing a worse team. And so the Saints could still win. And so actually, well, you know, the model isn't going to really have a great understanding of how well the Saints would have been with, or were without uh, Breeze and Bridgewater was in. And that's just one example. But when Aaron Rodgers got hurt, you know, the betting markets, that was almost a 10 point swing when um, Deshaun Kaiser came in. So, you know, when we looked at the graphs and the sort of consistency over time of of a a model based on uh, the, the game outcome or the point differential, you know, we sort of figured like, well, actually our, our estimates make a little bit more sense. Um, but that, that's also the, the weakness in the sense of, I, I think injuries and lineups and um, in particular with baseball, I think is really where our model is not good. And so, for example, like if, if we're modeling weak level outcomes in the NBA and LeBron James sits for two of those games because he, he has rest days, well, it's going to make it look like that team really, really, you know, stunk it up and, and just isn't as good anymore. When in reality, they're still really good they just were resting LeBron James. Alternatively, in, in baseball, if one of the teams uh, is, is you know, let's say you have a league average team and one of your starters is uh, Clayton Kershaw and you, your other starter isn't particularly good. Well, we're going to sort of balance those out and, and not necessarily pick up on the fact that on one of those days, they're a really good team when they have Kershaw on the mound. And so that that specific lineup in, in baseball would be pitcher, but that's where we're, we're really not great. And I do know that you could orchestrate this type of model to sort of figure out like, okay, I had a betting market odds, think about this player, or, you know, to try and merge some of what the betting market odds think about a game with eventually sort of what happens in that game or what lineup ends up out there. So that's, yeah, that's kind of where we would go next. Um, but, but like I said earlier, I, I wouldn't say that's something that's on the forefront of my mind.
0: Okay. And I guess just to break down this a bit more, um, so one of the first things I wanted to actually kind of review to understand, just even for myself, I mean, I'm not someone that works in anything with state space models. Uh, and I guess also just like to make it clear for listeners to, um, to understand this. So part of that Glickman and Stern work, and like, I, I guess in my head, I'm just thinking about this pulling effect, right? To shrink teams towards league average. Um, but the, the statement that kind of confuses me, when I read it is entails that team strength parameters are shrunk towards the league average over time and expectation. So can you just elaborate more on what that statement means? Cause like part of me is reading it and thinking, wait a second, as time goes on, am I not learning more about the team? Should I not be moving away more from the league average? But is the idea that um, like, at, you know, as you said, your approach works better than, Uh, like at the start of the season, you're already getting information from the betting odds, right? To do better than like someone say, here's my EPA-based team strengths, right? Which at the start of the season, I have no idea really what's going on probably. But can you like elaborate more on why that assumption is appropriate and so valuable in this setting?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I I guess I'll start by just sort of Giving the quick summary of a state space model, and the idea is that your team strength at a given time point is is some function of where you were at the prior time point um, plus some noise. For us, that we were using week level uh, odds, and so each game that you would play in a week would mean that you had a, a given team strength in that week. Part of the reason we use that is because there's generally one NFL game per week for each team. Obviously, without by weeks uh, in- included there. And then for baseball, you would have up to seven, sometimes maybe even eight uh, games in a given week. That was all part of sort of one team strength estimate. Now, the assumption of like how that, you know, what what is the distribution given where you were the previous week? What does that conditioning look like? We sort of followed Glickman and Stern, use the autoregressive process there, which means that you're a function of where you were plus some prior noise in expectation that is gonna pull you towards zero because we bounded the autoregressive parameter at one. And so in other words, you're, you're, you can't explode, if that makes sense. You can't sort of continually rise up and up. And part of the reason is um, convergence. Part of the reason is because when we when we actually fit the models, even though we're, we're saying we're, you know, we, we have an autoregressive process here, we're pulling the team strength estimates towards zero. So if you're really good, you're not going to stay really good for forever. You're going to sort of be eventually pulled back towards zero. If you're really bad, alternatively, you're going to eventually be pulled up. When you look at the, the actual coefficients there for the auto regressive parameter estimates, they're, they're like 0.98, 0.95, 0.92 maybe. Um, and it varied between the leagues. We had one for each, you know, one each for each league. And so even though, and that's a multiple sorry, I should, I should be clear. That's a multiplicative factor on your prior team strength, right? So if, your prior team strength on the log odds scale was, let's say, plus 1.5, right? Our best estimate for where you're going to be the following week is like maybe 1.5 times 0.98, right? Well, our best estimate is still just about 1.5. And so even though it's, it's pulling it towards zero, what we're trying to avoid here is the option in sort of fitting a model where there it's not necessarily pulled towards zero could explode. And suddenly, you know, you would, you would have team strengths that could go crazy. Now, granted, I will note that was an assumption in Glickman and Stern where they're, they're modeling either point differential or, or, or just winning and losing. Because we have Vegas odds and, and I think have a little bit more of a precise scale, perhaps we didn't need to make that assumption uh, in, in the sense that we might have been able to have a little bit more flexibility in, in terms of the auto aggressive parameter and just sort of assume that it was normally distributed, you know, centered at where you were the week prior. Uh, but that was something we didn't give a whole lot of thinking to in part because you know, I, I think by and large with maybe all sports, but baseball, it was pretty clear that there was some shrinkage going on in the sense that teams that were really good were actually kind of pulled towards the league average over time.
0: Okay. Thanks. No, that makes a lot more sense now. The, um, I think that's actually a really clear explanation for listeners to understand as well. The, uh, costas did you want to ask another question?
2: before? Yeah, I want to, um, uh... Go back a little bit at the beginning of the season. I had a a relevant question. So you use for the season prior um, a normal distribution centered at zero. So we basically don't know anything about the team. Everyone is average. Could you use the betting market again from um, uh, the total wins, for example, the over-under on the total wins to estimate some initial um, strength so you don't start from zero, and it's actually also faster to respond possibly at the beginning of the season. I mean, most probably the odds, the game level odds that you're using already have some information about that, but um, I was just wondering whether that could improve anything.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's actually a great point. So we, we actually have two sort of season, preseason um, hyperparameters. So one is at the beginning of the entire model we assume all teams are at the same team strength of zero. Just basically before we have any games, I think it was maybe 05 or 06 was the first years we used. Everybody starts at zero. And yes, certainly for that season, we could have gone back and, and used some estimate. I'll also be honest. I think that was the first season after the NHL lockout. So I don't even know how we would have gone much earlier than that without mm-hmm. sort of tweaking the model. After that point, so after the first season, all there should have another – Auto regressive process attached to the week one team strength estimate so it's not it doesn't go back to zero it actually goes back to the the sort of where you were the year prior so nfl teams would start in week one where they were week 17 um, but again there was some that was actually a different uh a, a different I, I don't think it's auto regressive because you're going from season to season but it's a different shrinkage mm-hmm. of that sort of pre pre-year factor so like if you ended up in in week 17, you ended up with a, a log odds team strength of, of I'll just use 1.5 again. Now you're gonna be shrunk and, and the shrinkage between year to year is actually much greater. Now I wanna say you're, you're shrunk maybe half, 50% back towards uh, zero. Um, and if again, if you were at negative 1.5, you'd, you'd be shrinking half the way up towards zero. Um, and, and so part of the, the sort of cool uh, aspect there is now we not only get a sense of how teams vary from week to week, when we look at the, the sort of weak level auto-regressive parameter, we also get a sense of how much season-to-season variability there is. And that, that's something that, that is, is almost entirely its own discussion, is sort of like, given what you know about a team at the end of the season, what are their chances going to be next year? Uh, and, you know, I think that was another comparison we made, and, and you can sort of look at to sort of see, like, you know, how the NHL, I think, that has the, the most reversion towards the average – um, relative to, to other sports and, and sort of suggesting that teams that are, are good at the end of one year, there's just sort of a lot of transitioning into, into what happens the next year. You are absolutely right, though. That the sport we're weakest in in that sense is the NBA. You know, when LeBron James goes from the, the Heat to the Cavs to the Lakers, well, I mean, the betting markets are picking up on, on win expectations way quicker than our model would because, you know, we're going to have the fact that the Heat – you know, we're favored and now they're not going to be favored or, or whatever happens with, you know, his other teams. We're going to have that in the, the game level estimates, but our, our priors for uh, at the start of the season aren't going to pick up on that. Like, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, when, you know, you know a season total win, win, win totals might. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's a probably a way to add more information. But then it becomes the same problem where now we got to scale it for each team and each, se- and each league, and, and that's like the, the, the annoying part of, mm-hmm. of trying to do some additional complex things.
2: Uh, yeah, and uh, so uh, staying at uh, Vegas odds, which uh, obviously it's a central part of um, of the work. So um, one of the major goals of this paper was to quantify basically luck in sports, um, and uh, you know the the final results uh, rank the sports based on um, you know where uh, you have more luck versus not luck, but. What struck me uh, was that if you see the first, the very first figure um, that um, there is in the paper, which is the calibration plots, basically for the win probabilities of every sport, so the same ranking can be obtained if you see the spread of the probabilities. So, for example, in MLB, uh, the probabilities go up to 60% or 62, uh, whereas uh, for um, the NFL go way more. So, so there is more spread. So, there's more certainty in some sports compared to others. So, so my question, I guess, is is that a result? Is this ranking a result of the fact that you use these probabilities that already have some information into, into it, or um, is is it, you know, it just happened basically?
1: So I think they're directly related. I I would say the reason I would be hesitant to just use, so in in figure one, we have the the X axis is betting market estimated probability. The Y axis is observed probability of of the win. And we split that into sort of 1% increments, and then you, you sort of see a line. you you hope to see a line at the the line Y equals X, to to note that the observed represents the expectation. Uh, The trick with just using the observed as sort of way to to calibrate between the leagues is that those are based on the schedules that the league puts out. And so if, if hypothetically there was a league that matched the first place teams against each other and the last place teams against each other, you could get a setting where all the betting odds were near 50%. But if you had the first place teams play last place teams, you know, you would have much different uh, betting odds. So mm-hmm. in that sense, like you're going to get different results. And, and in fact, like, I think the EPL where they have totally balanced schedules um, is, is probably fine with, you know, maybe a more straightforward approach. Uh, I, I mean, I made up the idea of, of a first place team first facing a first place team. In reality, the NFL does that, you know, when, when you're looking at uh, the, the, And in fact, we might have cited it in the paper, but if not, I've cited it afterwards. I want to say like the Patriots and the Broncos or the Patriots and Colts played each other basically every year for 10 years. Well, it's because the the first place teams always play each other the following season. Now, granted, there's a lot that happens in between NFL seasons, and that's just two games in an NFL schedule. But just because of those unbalanced schedules and and the unbalanced schedules take on greater importance, maybe in a sport like baseball or hockey, where the the within divisional matchups are, are much more common. Uh, then, because of that, yeah, there's there's additional complexity, and, and of course, you know, we're also interested in several other things in, in the paper, home advantage, uh, you know, some of the the sort of other things that come out of the model. But you're you're totally right, and in fact, you end up getting a pretty close answer by just looking at the spread of a uh, betting market estimated probabilities because the schedules are are more or less fair. They're mm-hmm. just they're not totally fair. they're not totally fair.
0: Yeah, I think this points towards the advantage of your approach of actually having a generative process for then doing, as you said, fixing this issue of the challenges of just the observed schedules. Now we can just fully simulate this, uh, given the modeling we've done, to then assess our different ways of measuring parity. I guess, still, I'm just wondering is it, it and like you brought this up, right, of like the challenge of the MLB odds as. As well, and like I just know from prior experience of like looking at like betting lines for baseball games and seeing, I remember just the experience of like when Tim Lincecum was no longer actually a good pitcher, but the betting lines are so in favor of him, the uh, just because of the way people were betting, right? And like to use the efficient market hypothesis, right? In this setting of is the baseball market not as efficient, right? So is that just lead to more of the challenge here than in like the interpretation at the results near the end, right, of like, oh, there's more randomness than in baseball and NHL. But is that just an implication of just the betting itself is like the lines are just not as, you know, there's more bias to them?
1: So my my honest answer is, is is, is uh, sounds a little sarcastic, which is there. There's a reason there are uh, you know <laughs> huge towers in the middle of the desert in Vegas. The the numbers that they're they're setting and the amount of money that they're taking on these games is massive. And any any at this point, the folks that are making money on on, on sports betting are huge quant firms that are investing more resources than we would put into this paper. To try and undercover any inefficiency in the market, and you know you wouldn't have you wouldn't have skyscrapers in the desert, um, you wouldn't have these companies like the, the, they exist to find weaknesses in the way people bet. And I, I don't doubt that Ron Yurko looking at Tim Lincecum is going to think sort of differently about maybe a given line. I'm the same way when I look at you know lines, and and I I can't bet anymore at the, at this point in my role, and I obviously don't. Um, but I, I just think there's, if there's inefficiencies, I don't think they exist, at least within the sport, such that, you know, and, and this is partially driven based on, on some of the feedback you hear about these, these markets. You know, if betters have a, a sort of a, a spread of like 3 or 4%, that for them is massive in terms of if the, the, the spread line is, let's say, minus 110, minus 110, so it's a 50 50 game, and they model their game at, at 53 or 54% right? That for them is about as big of an edge as they're going to get. Mm-hmm. And so yes, maybe we just don't know a whole heck of a lot that we will eventually learn to get more precise baseball estimates. Um, the reality is, is that I think we have to sort of at least acknowledge that they're, they're pretty, pretty gosh darn good. And, you know, certainly given at least what any other modeling would be able to pick up on, uh, you know, using these, these odds as an outcome seems, seems reasonable and i'd also add like let's say they are all three or four percent off we really have no idea where that direction is and Mm -hmm. so you know let's say we add maybe that's just noise that we're adding and in fact when we did the simulations it, it turned out that our baseball our game level predictions in baseball when we did out of sample they were they were the furthest off because we didn't have the starting pitcher and so when we did the out of sample predictions to try and do some of the postseason equity we we added that error back in in other words we we added We weren't just doing the expectation for the teams. We were adding the noise. Now, we didn't know which way that noise was going to go. It was, uh, you know, normally distributed with mean zero, but we didn't know that we were going to be off. And so like, all right, let's admit that we're off and uh, it's going to go in one direction. And, uh, you know, I think that sort of points to your idea is that we are probably off. I just guess that we're off by by a a low enough amount that uh, we're still going to be okay.
0: Yeah, and that again, it points to just the advantage of this framework for actually tackling this problem. The, um, and I, I should also disclose, like I know nothing about sports betting. I struggle as is with fantasy football. I don't, I, I've, I've read about it. I don't know what I'm actually talking about in that context though. But, uh, so I, I actually skipped something that we talked about at the beginning of this, of for someone to actually go about trying to tackle this problem themselves, uh, you know, and you mentioned the paper, you know, the data used here, this was purchased data. So can you talk about that data to an extent you can and like, what would someone that wants to do this problem of their own, what would they want to access now?
1: Yeah, it was, it was a, we were kind of, a, I wouldn't say lucky, but at the time, uh, and I, I actually, to be totally honest, I forget what company it was, was offering like, here are you know, the the sort of historical decade of betting lines, I think it might've been Sports Insights, you know, buy it for $600. Uh, and um, at that point, Greg, Ben and I, um, a couple of us had startup money from our, our sort of academic appointments. Um, this was before I, I was working at uh, the NFL league office. So that you know, we were like, okay, you know, we can use the money to buy data, um, let's, let's do it. And that's kind of how we got into it. Um, and just sort of a weird twist of fate, like I, I don't think that company was still offering that deal a couple of years later. And, you know, all of our paper is as open as we could be. We actually, um, all of the, the sort of the initial odds that they provide are not there, but the money line translation is, in other words, you can, you know, we, we share the, if Oakland was playing Pittsburgh and the, the implied betting line was 62% for Oakland, you know, we, we share that data and then we share the, you know, the rest of the process after that. However, nobody really cares at this point to go model betting market data that's a, a decade old, um, and, and I think the last year we used in the paper might have been like 2017. Um, and to be totally honest, like our, our framework, you know, we're, we're writing for an academic journal, and at that point, you know, we're still mostly focused on getting published. You know, we didn't do an R package, um, and part of the reason we didn't do it is because we were focused on other things, and I think maybe that we regret. The only R package to come out of it was the the team colors package that that Ben and Greg did, which shares quite literally the team colors that we used in our plots. Uh, And and if that's the the legacy of this paper, then then fine. Um, I did did write a four part series that I'll plug on my website that walks through how to do our modeling. And um, I, 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 I just Googled four part series stats by Lopez modeling in sports. Uh, and, and it's, it's titled as Lessons Hidden in, in Sports Betting Markets. And I, I walk through how to, um, how to how to do this type of modeling and some of the findings. Um, I have a, a post about how to do it in hockey. I looked at like the, the Vegas flu with the home advantage for, for Vegas and betting markets. So, I, I'm, you know, I tried to do some of it to sort of share like, you know, what would that look like? Um, the reality is, is, is that you do need betting market data. And uh, that, that data itself is, is not as easy to, to, to obtain as it should be. Um, I do know that, uh, that I think Lee Sharp, who does work in NFL, um, his, his site shares NFL betting market data. Uh, I know that uh, without too much difficulty, if you Google betting odds for other sports, you're going to find those fairly quickly. Um, you might not get all seasons you want. And quite honestly, it, it's pretty rare to get like up to date betting lines so that if you're modeling basketball you can sort of do it iteratively throughout the season um, but it is an opportunity for, for researchers that do want to write a package the the problem is is and this isn't surprising none of the betting market websites make it particularly easy to scrape and you can sort of understand why um, I've had the the same problem incidentally trying to bet on horses for the last couple of years because that's like the only thing I can bet on and um, nobody wants to share any horse racing data, right? So like the, the, these types of places, they, they don't make it easy to get the data. And so my, my honest guess is if you wrote an R package to get gambling data and they found out about it, they, they changed their API and then you would have to change your package like every month or something. So um, yeah, if, if you start with betting market data and then you follow our code in the paper, um, you'll, you'll notice pretty quickly that it doesn't take that long to run or converge and then you'll get you know, sort of interesting team strength estimates.
0: Okay, thanks. And I guess I won't go too much of the uh, making an R package that then the API changes so then the package <laughs> is no longer useful. I won't talk about that here at all. But the um, I guess actually we should mention that the, the legacy of Team Colors is very important and Greg Matthews will forever brag about that package. And I, I will add it is actually a great package. The um, And we'll definitely put to the on the notes for the for the episode, the link to the post. The um, I guess now that would actually probably be the kind of uh, the modeling could probably be done with Stan. Yeah, with
1: and and, and Stan was like right as we were finished, people were starting to like, oh, you should learn Stan, and we're like, well, we're not doing that now. But yeah, yeah that the I think any similar state space model that you would want to build now should be in Stan, uh, and and similar with. Um, you know, obviously other Bayesian frameworks. Mm.
0: The next thing I guess we want to talk about, we going through the modeling framework. And cause this jump in if you have any, if there's any other points you want to bring up on methods. Because um, like the next thing I was just thinking, talking about was going into the results now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's not, it's not um, necessarily uh, modeling, the question I have, but it's related a little bit to what um, uh, you mentioned about um Schedule of uh, a league, uh, and uh, what what I found interesting and interesting a very interesting part of the paper was uh, the game parity. Um, so how, how much is the parity for every uh, league? And I guess the, as you said, the the betting odds depend on the matchups and who plays with whom, what is the format of a league, and all that kind of stuff. So these two are um, kind of uh, I, I, I guess, correlated, right? So um, how would uh, then going to the league party, how would you disentangle, is it possible to disentangle how much of that is because of scheduling and how much because of randomness of the sport, the game level?
1: That, yeah, I don't, I think there's, the answer is yes. I think it's, it's depending on what you want. And, and one of the, I mean, I forget a lot of what I had to learn for grad school. Um, because, you know, I haven't been in grad school in years, but um, one of the, the things I've, I've always taken away from, a, I was in biostatistics, and the professors that I had, a couple of them always stressed, like, the most important thing that you should be doing when you're writing a paper is defining your estimate, and in this case, our, our definitions of parity, we will be fine to have both of them, because we have different definitions of, of sort of what we're, we're trying to measure, is you know, are you talking, if we're talking about equivalence of sports teams at a given point in time, is that using the observed schedule about what we expect their one loss results to be? Is it observing if we were to pick two random teams, how likely is it for the team that we're perceiving as better to win that? Um, If we're generating the idea of parity in the postseason, are we observing, are we using the observed formats for baseball, hockey, football, and basketball? Um, or are we using uh, the sort of same 16-game tournament that we could make up ourselves? And so we, we've, we devised a couple of approaches, but ultimately you're right. It sort of depends on, on where your framework is and, and what you're trying to estimate. And that's something we, we tried to be precise about. But, but realistically, there's a lot more of other options to come up with because um, a lot of these questions just sort of, you know, start to come to your head like, well, do you include you know, your definition of parity, if we're talking about game level equivalent, sorry, your definition of parity, if you're talking about game level similarity, well, are you gonna give the better team a home advantage um, or not? Because if you are and you're doing that in the NBA, that makes a big difference. If you're, you are and you're doing that in baseball or hockey, it makes less of a difference. And so like those types of things, do you include home advantage, do you not? Are the teams generated at random? Are they not? Are you using the observed schedule or not? They're all gonna give you different answers. And so we we had a couple of approaches, but you're you're totally right in that maybe we didn't have the best one. And part of your part of our results are driven by some of the choices that we made.
0: With so with the results, um, what like of, of the things you actually observed, what did you find most surprising in this? Was there something going into this that you expected in terms of, uh, you know, I guess you have to watch what you say about parity in the NFL now, but versus like thinking of did you have some prior belief about which league you believe would have more impactful home field advantage or, you know, just even more parity throughout seasons, you know, and how, how did it compare to what you actually observed?
1: I I, I don't think there's one answer that stood out. Like we saw it, we all saw it and we're like, Oh, Holy cow. There there were sort of a series of, of things where they, they all just made us say, like, oh, that's really interesting. The first one, you mentioned the home advantage differences. And so we modeled, we had a couple of modeling frameworks. One is we assumed that the home advantage for all teams and all games within a league was identical. And then we said, well, let's give each team its own home advantage in each league so that the Pittsburgh Penguins had their own home advantage, the Pittsburgh Pirates had their home advantage, and those are separate from all the other, you know, within MLB and within NHL home advantages. And it was interesting for us that we, we didn't exactly have a preconceived notion about what we would find on the within team differences. And then we did the modeling, and, you know, we probably knew the NBA was going to have the biggest home advantage because if you Google what sport has the biggest home advantage, you know, NBA camp comes up. But the magnitude of the differences between Denver and Utah and, like, let's say, New Jersey, uh, the, at, at that point the New Jersey Nets, uh, the New York Knicks, Boston Celtics, all these teams in the East coast was, was, was pretty, pretty monstrous. And like to the scale of maybe a or to a year. And like, that's, that's just, that's not just because they're the home team. That's because they're a home team in a better home place uh, to play. And I think ultimately, I think part of that is driven by travel and, and altitude advantages and, and maybe not just who's in the arena, but, but it does tie into it a little bit. Um, and, and so that was one difference. And then you look on other sports and, Well, Denver's not just at the top of the NBA, Denver's also at the top of MLB. And Denver, in fact, is the only MLB team that stands out. Uh, And um, you look at NFL, and the NFL teams were a little bit closer to one another, but the Broncos were at the top there. Uh, And so to sort of have, and the Avalanche were as well in the NHL. So to sort of have like a, a framework where we didn't, there was nothing about our model that ever picked out Colorado or Denver teams. And then we ran the model, and just interestingly enough, it all sort of rose to the top. It just it, it almost validated the idea that there is some advantage to playing there, um, or maybe it's a you know a, a, a something going on uh, for for teams that have to play there if they have to travel further distances to you know off of overnights or something that goes into those games where they end up as as bigger underdogs than you would anticipate. Um, but I think that was probably the the first thing that stood out. Um, and you know realistically, the the second, if I were to pick a second, was just how different baseball and hockey are relative to football and basketball with respect to, to game level equivalents. I've, I've like, listened, I would, I would click on the the article on, on, you know, that's been 10 biggest chokers in sports history. And, you know, I would see Alex Ovechkin and I would see, um, you know, up to recently Clayton Kershaw and you'd see these names and you'd be like, all right, yeah, players never won. That sort of stinks. But, you know when you model these these outcomes and you realize how similar baseball and hockey teams are to one another, that it, it just sort of gives you it gives you pause as we start to assess labels to to sports athletes that are that are great um, and and just because of and you can call it bad luck or just bad execution that that is likely not repeatable. They haven't won whatever title that we, we're we sort of holding back from them and. Um, I think it was, I think it was really classic that Alex Ovechkin was the one that I would have cited before we even did the paper. And then we did the paper. And then the year after we did the paper, um, obviously unrelated, the Capitals won the NHL Stanley cup. And it just, from our perspective, it was like, that's a classic example of like, why are we defining, you know, entire hockey legacies by um, Stanley cup outcomes. And I, I would say that, you know, knowing that Sam Ventura may eventually listen and I don't want to take his two Stanley cups Away, uh, and I actually don't think I have that ability. Um, But the the reality is is like uh, you know Sam got a little lucky that they won on those runs, and the years that they didn't win, you got a little unlucky. And I think um, that type of of sort of acknowledgement about like what baseball and hockey are like relative to the other two sports is is sort of you know our second take home.
0: Yeah, and you know just thinking of the the famous Billy Bean quote right about uh, not being you know it doesn't work in the playoffs and. Now I just think of the fact that MLB is, what, doing this expansion of the number of teams in the playoffs. And part of me thinks it's no coincidence that the year then in this, you know, expan- first year of this expansion, and the A's then lose to the cheating Astros. And then these all right, jump at ship, join the Red Sox ownership, and I'm going to focus on soccer. Like, part of me thinks it's not a not a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So actually, so something you're talking about with um, NFL team schedules – and I was, I was wondering if you could give like a little bit of overview of some related work that sort of extends the modeling in this uh, by um, uh, Thompson Bliss, uh, NFL data scientist. And this was something he just presented at the UConn uh, Sports Analytics uh, Conference a few weeks back.
1: Sure. So Tom uh, interned with us and uh, actually, interestingly enough, worked with the NFL scraper win probability model when he interned uh, trying to, to figure out like how we could implement similar and, and related versions for what we were trying to do with the league office that summer. Uh, and, and anyways, he, he proved himself to be quite uh, adept at taking newer and, and novel metrics or tools and, and learning them and executing them pretty quickly. So um, uh, it was one of those things that, that we had on our list of things that we wanted to do with the league office. Which is to try and, and, and implement this this model uh, to to sort of, you know, at, at this point it's been a couple of years since since Greg Ben and I had had done this project, but we knew we were missing things, and you know, one of the things we knew we were missing was we were assuming that every every game played in every week was basically defined only by the team strengths, the the teams that were playing, and whatever team had the home advantage. Well, in reality you know, when you're in the league office, you're, you're sort of purview to, to a lot of the um, comments sometimes that teams might have about their own schedule, uh, whether it is perceived gripes about uh, rest off of a bye week or the team that they're playing or the, the travel, the number of times that they're on the road, uh, the time zones they have to go. And these are all maybe hypothetical comments. Um, but the the our, our sort of uh, acknowledgement uh, is that we wanted to add those to the model. And we, we have, we don't necessarily know if betting markets are gonna pick up on all of those traits, but we do know that they're gonna pick up on, you would think, if a team is coming off a bye week against a team that's not coming off a bye week. You would think that they're gonna pick up on some differences in, in maybe, maybe a short rest. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. So anyways, Tom was able to take our, our version of the model with the NFL. And, and we got, you know, betting market data that we, we have at the league office that we were sort of able to implement. And basically what we did is we just added terms. And so Tom added indicators for uh, different rest advantages. Uh, a team, you know, coming off of, you know, that, that playing on a Sunday, they're playing a team that came off of a Monday game. You know, what type of small, if any bump, does that team get? Uh, maybe it's a team that's coming off of a Sunday game playing against a, a team coming off of a Thursday game from, from 10 days. Prior, you know, what type of bump does that team coming off the extra rest, and then maybe the bye week rest. So it's both combination of rest. But the other thing we did, which was um, was really interesting, and, and he had some some really cool transformations that he was able to do, is when a team is on the road, not all teams playing on the road are equivalent. And if you're the Jets and you're on a road game and you're playing at the Eagles, well, you're probably taking a bus. If you're the Jets and you're going to play in I don't know, against the Rams in LA, well, that's a, a three-hour flight in a time zone. And maybe they're making you play in a primetime game at night in LA. And so trying to add these other variables about distance that a team would travel, maybe some indicators about how many time zones that difference is, um, just to see what betting markets were, were saying about those. And, and that, from a, at least from our perspective at the at the office, is, you know, we have now have a little bit of a better sense of, of maybe some of the ways we can um, better understand the scheduling inequities um, that 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 could exist, where where you know a team you know has to have a couple west coast trips in the year for from an east coast team, or a team happens to play you know a couple of teams that are off of a, a Thursday night game. Um, to better understand some of the of those differences.
2: So just to to make sure um, understood. So essentially, to some extent, uh, what you, what um, he was looking you were looking was more like. How many points on the spread is worth, you know, an extra day?
1: Yeah. Yep.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. And the, the really, I, for, for me, like a lot of the results made sense, like coming off a buy, you get a you get a bump. I mean, I don't forget if it's half a point or a point, but like there, there's a small difference there when teams are coming off the buy for us. The, the really interesting finding is that the home advantage is, is not just the home advantage. It's partially a home and travel advantage. Where the further that the team travels, the more we're giving that team for a home advantage, and so teams that that are, are traveling further away, um, they're they're facing you know that's a it's a bigger it's a bigger difference. Now, granted, in the scheme of things, it's still you know smaller than the overall home advantage, but it is sort of a, an interesting finding.
2: That Was there any specific also effect of the direction of travel?
1: We did look at direction, and no. Um, at least not in what the betting market numbers mm-hmm. were, were indicating. We also we, – I thought for sure we were going to find a time zone thing where teams playing three time zones away, uh, like maybe in you know a, a West Coast team playing at you know, East Coast at 8 o'clock at night. We try those. Part of the reason I don't think we found anything is there's just not a ton of those games, even within a given season. Mm-hmm. There might be a half dozen. And so over 8 to 10 years or whatever time frame we're using – not a, not a massive amount to, to try and, you know, cause you're also trying to untangle other parameters in that same model. And uh, other than just sort of the, the differences in the home and the rest and the travel advantages, we didn't find anything else to be significant.
0: Something I had been thinking about just from reading this paper, um, and in the context of like comparing leagues, like sort of this meta work of thinking about, you know, even, you, so you look at over the course of the seasons, Right, to compare different leagues in the structure but what about even like at the game level themselves you know there's been a lot of talk recently about uh, NFL win probability given what's happened with the Falcons multiple times but thinking about like could we and I don't even know if necessarily this would be an extension of doing of the state space model other than like the starting win probability at the beginning of the game but trying to assess like the level of excitement Uh, that differs between the sports in terms of how the in-game win probability changes. Um, I was just curious, like, have you thought about how would one go about tackling that approach? And maybe, I don't know if you have to directly consider about this at the
1: NFL. That's a great question. We we definitely have done work with within game win probability stuff in terms of game excitement and maybe excitement's the wrong word, but game uh, sort of, we actually to be honest we've, we've called it a heart rate graph because your ideal graph kind of goes up and down like a heart rate. Um, we, we've done some of that we have not compared it to other sports but I, I definitely think that that's a, a, a you know if, if folks are interested in a good sports analytics project there are wind probability models that are pretty easy to implement um, and or just use other focuses uh, to sort of try and assess. The, the one note that I, I will plug is uh, Dan Servone had a really interesting post this is unfortunately before the the X Y Research Group took their website down. Um, he he had a really good post about win probability, and he his question, which is a little bit similar to yours, was um, how like what is the distribution of the lowest win probability within a game that the team that ended up winning like what does that distribution look like? And so you know when you you know you're mentioning the 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 teams that have come back against the Falcons, um, Falcons are a great NFL team. Um, as are the other 31, um, and um, no, I'm kidding. Well, not not, not <laughs> but you know what I mean. The yeah. company the, man. The, the if you look at those, you know, you're going to see the teams that that came back in those games. They reached 1%, 2%, 5%, depending on where you're getting a your win probability model from. Well, what does that look like across all teams in all games? And I think that that is what Dan did, and it was it was really interesting. Um, but again, that that would be at this point, I think, something for for somebody else to try and do. But I think definitely a, a good way of comparing the the leagues.
0: Yeah, because it's getting you know it's the initial problem of what's the comparative scale for everything and wind probability. Assuming you have good models for doing so, would be getting at that. The um, okay, no, it's interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, it's it's. I, I like the, and one of the things like I like from this work is it kind of, for just for my own purposes, like it kind of inspired the idea of like thinking about work in sports that wasn't just necessarily about player evaluation because i feel like there's just so many things that are like oh let's find the best way of getting a new plus minus metric and you know the number one summary and like that's kind of what i did for with the nfl war paper but the same extent it's kind of boring after a point because everybody's doing it and this is a way of like well what can we actually say about these sports themselves and a better way of understanding it and you know and recognizing you know it adds to our anger this paper in the way of just playoff formats and for me as a baseball fan it just makes me think i, I actually just want at the end of the season who was the best in the american league and who is the best in the national league to play each other which is the way it worked out this year amazingly but going forward it probably won't with the the the, the new system they're going to be doing the um but I love how in this paper, it's okay, here's actually a generative model to show that and to simulate without dealing with just the schedules constraints.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it was interesting that it worked out that way in, in baseball and, and ultimately the Lakers ended up winning in basketball too. And certainly they were one of the top teams. But the Lakers did play the Heat, and the Heat were, um, if you use regular season numbers, were were certainly not a team that what that folks would expect. And, you know, basketball lost its home advantage. And so ultimately, you know, maybe the Heat would have won if they had to go on the road in, in three straight series um, to, to win, um, to play the Lakers. But, you know, I don't know, that, that's a lot harder when you have the home advantage too. So um, certainly this, this year's postseasons were interesting. And, and yeah, ultimately as, as folks at, you know, as you're trying to think about, like, what is the best postseason format for certain sports, you know, having these good estimates of team strengths and the home advantage – is going to allow you to sort of simulate a lot of possible exciting, you know, sort of like what, what type of levels of excitement are you going to get in the postseason? And it turns out, my guess is you're going to get a lot of good excitement in this new MLB format if, if it ends up going through. But um, it's going to come at the expense of, of the teams that are, are the best also winning uh, and um, likely negatively so, at least from, from this author's point of view.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I'll just add that. Just thinking about going into baseball this year as a as a Pirates fan, it was the idea that maybe they would have a chance, but no, it, it didn't happen. Um, Custis, did you have anything else you want to add?
2: No, just uh, just uh, adding up to what you said about problems. Uh, people that work with sports analytics, not just evaluating players. Actually, thinking about luck in sports has made me get less upset to when my team is losing the second day because the first day I'm still upset. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think definitely helps put things in perspective. There's a lot of luck involved.
1: It's it's funny you say that I'm, I'm like kind of the same way in that I, it's now sort of the acknowledgement that, well, the, the, it's not just that your team lost, the other team won. And like, there are a lot of other happy fans now. And, and I think I, I feel that way maybe more so than I would have a decade ago. I, I will absolutely say though that when the Bruins lost, in um, the Stanley Cup Finals last year to the Blues. So you're like, cool, St. Louis won, great, whatever. There's probably, my brother in is from St. Louis, he was happy, but like, ultimately, I'm also aware like, shit, it's really hard to get back to the Stanley Cup Finals and the Bruins were there and now they lost. And now it's, so it, it's sort of like, yeah, you can sort of now understand that just because you're the home team in a Game 7 Stanley Cup and you you know you were a pretty decent-sized favorite for a hockey team, there's still a lot of luck there, but you're still gonna now recognize it's hard to get back to that point yeah, and, um, that, that, then now, now you just go back to being upset.
0: <laughs> well, that's why you just have to be conditioned as a Pirates fan growing up, <laughs> spending the first 20, 21 years of my life, knowing that they're just going to lose. And I just watched the other team win. That's all I wanted to see anyway. <laughs> um, uh, you yeah, know, thanks Mike um, for the time doing this, uh, covering this paper and uh, no, I should add, you know, You are definitely in the level of like a role model in this field. You know, I look up to the work you do. And I just think back like this, this paper and the talk you and Ben gave at 2017 served to me as like an example of like, how do I want to go about explaining the work I'm doing? Because it makes it very clear for others to follow, to actually understand. And it gets them excited about it as well. So I just, I just wanted to thank you for that. uh, Just on my own personal level, the, um, and you know, d- thanks again for just taking the time. And you know, I think everybody knows where they can reach out to you and follow you. Stats by Lopez on Twitter. But just to conclude, uh, you know, there's this little thing going on right now that's uh, being hosted on Kaggle, and I think people listening to this are probably going to be the type of crowd involved in it. Uh, if you want to take a moment to talk about the current big datable,
1: sure. And and thanks for bringing that up. I, I would note and and. In- Ron, thank you for the, the nice words as well. Uh, I'll I'll totally be honest, and I should have done this an hour ago. Um, for folks that are still listening, this this is equal parts Ben Bomber and, and Greg Matthews. And um, you know, you, you mentioned the Nessus talk. Um, that was that was Ben and I, but but you know, Greg was there too in in spirit and in terms of production. And um, this 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 was really a blend of the three skills that the the folks you know in our group have. Uh, And, you know, the the way that Ben writes code, the way that Greg thinks abstract about writing models and his efficiency, even if there are a lot of typos along the way of getting some of that stuff done, is is pretty remarkable. And, you know, it it was uh, it was sort of a privilege to work with with both of them. And, um, you know, hopefully I I didn't screw up a a lot of your questions here today um, on their behalf. Um, In terms of the, the Big Data Bowl, you know, I, I've, this is sort of a, a long passion of mine. And, and you mentioned like not really caring about, you know, player evaluation. I'm, I'm totally with you. Like, I, I think, like, I think that's really cool, but ultimately I, I have bigger interest in, in sports data. And for me, you know, trying to increase the interest in, in sort of, uh, you know, push the field of football analytics forward. Uh, this is, this is a big part of, of what we're doing at the league office. And so we run an event called the big data bowl, the primary aims of the event are to, to, to one, provide a, a pipeline of folks that want to work on NFL teams, want to work at the league office, want to work for, for vendors that, that deal with player tracking data and deal with the complex NFL data sets that now exist. We want to we find folks that are interested in doing that. Um, and then the second is is to create new ideas and to drive innovation with this new data because teams have only had it for a couple of years at this point, and um, when you're when you're dealing with a, a data set that that's massive and new and you don't necessarily have all the sort of all the understanding that maybe you would want, you know it, it helps to crowdsource some of these ideas. So um, you know this year, you know our, our first year we had uh, we, we sort of built it off with, with some small prizes and we had some great submissions. Last year we went on Kaggle for the first time and we had 2200 submissions from 32 different countries. Uh, and we had a real specific aim, which was identifying, success on run plays and and sort of a distribution of of yards that ball carriers would gain this year. Our theme is, is we've gone from, you know, our first year was ended up being a lot of passing plays last year was run plays. Now we're back to pass plays, but the focus is on, on the defense. And so we've shared the tracking data from all eligible receivers uh, and the quarterback and, and defenders like defensive backs and linebackers from all pass plays in the 2018 season. And that data is on Kaggle now Uh, the the raw, you know, player tracking data that our clubs deal with and uh, that they're they're trying to find insight from too. And so, you know, the goal this year is to analyze the secondary and to figure out, you know, what makes for a good secondary play, man versus zone coverage schemes, performance in each of those schemes, who's the best when the ball is in the air, um, you know, what types of of metrics can you design, you know, can you predict a, a defensive pass interference using this data, a lot of possibilities and and the, I gave a couple but but folks that are familiar with football can give a lot more so that's up on Kaggle it's the big data bowl and you know I, I think ultimately if you want a job in sports, this is a great way as as sort of a, a way to do that and I, I say sports ultimately we're we're trying to get folks into football, but um, it's it's not all it, it, football's not the only sport that are, are hiring um, big data bowl folks um, because of the of the sort of uh, the, the skills that are required to do well in this contest will, will absolutely you know transfer to, to other leagues and, and other organizations.
0: Yeah and that absolutely agrees with uh, I think what Doug Fearing was talking about at our, our conference uh, last week of just you know MLB teams want to see people doing work with NFL tracking data because it's very complicated and it's as you have it's it's actually something people can access so I think it's excellent opportunity And, uh, if anybody, and we'll put the link again to it in the show notes and, you know, anybody working on it, make sure you tweet with the hashtag big data bowl so people know and can share with uh, each other their work. So I guess just include, uh, thank you, Mike, again for joining us. Uh, and, you know, the for the next episode, I know we're going to, we're planning on the one and only Greg Matthews to return along with, uh, his author Ryan Elmore, the winners of, uh, Carnegie Mellon uh, reproducible Research Competition, but uh, you know he's always a follow up to you, Mike. That's the one thing we'll say <laughs>
1: i'm I'm not gonna say anything. Um, I'm I thought about going the whole episode without saying his name and just referencing Ben, um, but no I, I yeah Greg Greg's been great and so yeah i'll I'll, I'll be listening back when you have him and, and Ryan on.
2: we can cut his name if you want
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, Mike. And thank you. We'll
0: have uh, listeners on next time. Thanks for listening. Have you made it all the way through?
1: Thanks, Costas. Thanks, Ron.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Open Source Sports Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenSRC Sports. You can follow myself, Ron Yurko, at stat underscore Ron and Costas Pelikrinus at K We'd appreciate it if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, and you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify,
1: Google Podcasts, and many more. Thanks for listening.